This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. This is the wisdom that comes from heaven. If you were here last week, this is actually going to be quite a lot different because last week we spoke about the wisdom that comes from earth. And and I'll read that for you. This is just a recap of last week. James 3 verses 14 to 15. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly unspiritual and demonic many of us could go back through our own memories and think there are times i've harbored bitter envy and selfish ambition there are times i've been acting earthly unspiritual and james goes as far as to say that's demonic not of god of the evil one But let's read today, let's contrast these two. Today, from James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness can we see how it's just completely polar opposite we're going like from demonic to the very wisdom that comes from god Notice, though, it's not based on human brilliance. When we hear the word wisdom, we often think very intelligent person or someone of high esteem. It's not based on human brilliance, but true wisdom from God is simply to have the right virtues flowing from your heart. Isn't that funny? That means that a Christian child can have more of God's wisdom than our greatest professors, than our our greatest theologians and pastors of this world, that child can be filled with more wisdom than these others put together. Doesn't that put things in perspective? Remember our Lord said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Before I go on to what was wrong with, I just want to, yeah, actually, before I go on, I want to just talk about what was wrong with maybe my last statement. You may have missed it. One of my last statements. It was one word. You may have missed it. I said, true wisdom from God is simply to have the right virtues. And that word simply, because many of you here are going, I don't find it that simple. I'm actually <laughs> struggling with this. Like, like these virtues that you've just listed, Dan, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, which leads to peacemaking and a harvest of righteousness. Dan, I struggle to reflect those virtues. Why did you use the word simple? That might be your argument to me. I'll give you that. 
But firstly, let's go back to the source of the problem because that's actually going to help answer why I can say it's simple. Simple for some, not for others, maybe I could say it that way. Sadly, at the fall, we detached ourselves spiritually and physically from God. Spiritually, we broke his law. There is now a division in the relationship. And physically, we were ashamed and still are ashamed to be in his presence. This is what happened at the fall. We now hide rather than thrive in the presence of God. This is humanity all over. Romans chapter 1 and just a paraphrase of verses 18 to 20 By the way of wickedness, we suppress the plain truth of God. So this is this is Paul speaking thousands of years, thousands of years after the fall. We suppress the plain truth about God, namely his eternal power and divine nature. But when you read on in Romans chapter one, he actually talks about wisdom. He says here in Romans one verses twenty two. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So we, as humanity, have erected our own standard of wisdom that is separate from God's standard of wisdom ever since the fall. Why? Because we have detached ourselves by our sin, physically and spiritually, from God's presence and power. We exchange the glory of God for worthless idols and further transgression. We delivered him over and said, not you. I want to worship and live for this. And I want to do what I want. I want autonomy from you, God. I don't want you. I want autonomy. Doesn't leave us in a good situation, does it? We are left... Guilty before the face of a holy and righteous God. You would think the story ends there. As God looks down, he doesn't see any who are righteous, any who are worthy. The intentions of the human heart are evil continually. And yet God made a promise. Yes, we detach from him spiritually and physically. Yet he has reached out to take hold of this humanity. And he's done it by way of his perfect son. Where we're running headlong away from God, he's chasing after us. He's come to get us. Like that little lost sheep Jesus was talking about, leaving the 99, he goes out. To get that one. Amazingly, Jesus restores both the spiritual and the physical relationship that was lost at the fall. Spiritually, we are forgiven. We are washed whiter than snow. Physically, we get given a new body. We are no longer ashamed of God because of our sin. We will stand in his presence as adopted children. How great is this? How wonderful is this news? This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus comes to restore and to heal that which we broke. 
in him, you have love, acceptance, and adoption. What our sin and the curse had stripped from us, Jesus takes that upon himself, and by his blood, you are set free. But this is my challenge today, because everything I've just said to you, your life in God now is completely and wholly because of what Jesus has done for you. We don't walk to God and say, little bit of Jesus, little bit of me, and we worked it out together. No, we were hopelessly lost in our sin, and Jesus has made every provision for you to come back into relationship with God. And it is by faith in him alone that we say, we don't even do anything. We're like, Lord, I'm just going to receive what you have already done. I'm going to take hold of that. But my challenge is this. Have you relinquished your autonomy and surrendered to Jesus? I have to ask. Because some of us here may not yet be there. We've not trusted Jesus. And so I want to ask you, have you stopped with the autonomy, living separate from God, and have you taken hold of Jesus, surrendering to him as your Lord and your Savior? That is where the wisdom of God must begin. If we don't have Jesus, we don't we forget talking about the attributes and virtues that come through a relationship with God. It would be impossible. You imagine me, a pastor, trying to get someone who doesn't have Jesus to live according to God's virtues. I would make them twice the son of the devil. Because it would be unnatural to them. I'd be fitting a square through a triangle shape. It just wouldn't work. Yet how the pride of this age rages against Jesus, this beautiful gift that I've just offered here. How they hate the fact that even doing communion, even talking about his resurrection, they hate it. They don't want it because why? It takes away the autonomy. It brings about a lot of humility I would even say it takes divine humility for you to reach out and take hold of Jesus because in and of yourself, you don't have power to do it. You're so lost in your sin and you've erected your own wisdom against God's wisdom. And the only way that you're going to let go of that is unless the Holy Spirit goes in and does an amazing work of transformation. We call it regeneration of the heart, the withered, death, dead heart to God. He springs alive. To then reach out and take hold of Jesus. You, God, truly have filled our hearts with songs of deliverance. But how does this help us understand James 3? Hear the words of the Lord Jesus from Matthew 7, 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Could we imagine entering through that narrow gate, which is the Lord Jesus? We discussed this last week. The gate is Jesus. The path must be with the Holy Spirit. But could you imagine for a moment that you've gone through the gate and then at that time you say, and now it's all on me. I'm going to get myself the rest of the way to the door of heaven, as it were. 
You know, I really want to flip that on its head because many Christians have fallen into that miry clay trying to do this Christian life under their own strength and they're wondering why it's so hard. And if I could put it in an example, it's as if you've received Jesus and then you're going to take God by the hand and lead him throughout the rest of your life or, or you'll do it in seasons of your life. What might be the right response once we've received Jesus? You take his hand and he does the leading. He takes you to those places that you need to go. He heals those wounds, that brokenness. Yet all too often we see that we can fall into the opposite. Remember, we see this in James chapter 1, verse 21. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Jesus already told us the road's going to be hard. Why on earth would we think to do it without God or minimize God in this journey? It also says in James chapter 3, verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, and that's, that's really where I want to just rest on for a moment where does it come from Mm, heaven you know like it's almost like me no it doesn't this is not you we need wisdom that is existential it's outside of ourselves and it comes from the lord himself and then we hear of all these wonderful virtues i hope that weight is sort of falling off you at the moment when you're thinking man i'm really struggling in my christian walk and then you've just heard me say Yeah, but it's because you need something outside of yourself. Don't look inwards to achieve these virtues. This is what someone who is unsaved would have to do because it's all they've got. Yet again, I'm just trying to bring about that confusion. Everything, everything that makes you a Christian, has brought you into a relationship with God, has been God in Christ. God has come and done all the work to bring you into relationship. Why on earth would we think it stops there? And then we go and do the rest of our own life. We make no sense. And so you might ask, okay, the wisdom that comes from heaven, but that doesn't help me because I'm not in heaven. But now we've got to go all the way back to James chapter 1, verse 5. And this actually brings light into what we're asking. Because he's already referenced this wisdom from heaven. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, yep, I hope everybody could put their hand up for that. I hope, yeah, I hope, no, Daniel, thank you, me too. (laughs) If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Now, it doesn't say who gives begrudgingly, who is stingy. No, it says who gives generously to all, I love this, without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Because there's plenty of us here who probably feel like we can't ask God. Like we should be doing it on our own. Or maybe we're just, we're just timid. God's not going to find fault. God's not going to maybe look at the bad week you've had and then say, well, not for you. I'm, uh, you, know, you need to get yourself out of this mess. You got yourself into it. No, without finding fault. God, I need the virtues that can only come from heaven. And that is your wisdom. Your wisdom upon my life is me living according to the virtues that you have stated here. Not a list of things to be willed, 
but a manifestation of God's work upon the soul. Instead, if you rely on God and have his wisdom, this is an interesting part, you and others will know it, because if you're living and walking by the Spirit, it's going to be evident. You're going to maybe even come into situations and be like, I used to act like this in this situation when I run up against this wall, but now I'm acting like that. Not because you've become more holy in yourself, not because you're more righteous, but because God is doing a greater work in you during this season. It sort of makes a bit more sense of backsliding as well, doesn't it? It's because when we backslide, we, you know, we've all done this. We're like, Lord, I thought I was beyond this. I thought I didn't, I didn't think like this anymore. I didn't act like that or talk like that. And here I am in this horrible season. And now we have a beautiful and generous God who doesn't find fault, who's saying, come back and ask for wisdom. Come back and ask me for help. I'll give you the heart you need to continue the journey in health, I could say. Because the journey will continue. If you're in Jesus, it'll continue. But I would rather it be a joy, which is what he was, James started off saying, a joy even in trial, rather than chaos, hardship, ruin. And, and I, don't, I mean, that can happen physically, but I mean spiritually. God, God can bring us to heaven kicking and screaming. Or we could be skipping. It's up to you. But how? Because I want to do the, I want to do the, I don't want to do the kicking and screaming. Well, again, like I said, previously, we all had detached ourselves from God. We decided autonomy over relationship. Now we're just flipping that on its head. Lord, I am completely dependent upon you for this walk. I can't do this. I need from you, from heaven, the wisdom to get through this life. It's so simple. It's so simple. If I was to preach anything other than that, it, just, it would just ruin you. Look deeper into yourself. Meditate more. You know, lots of prayer will bring about the result. No, not lots of prayer, lots of intimacy. Lots of true relationship with God. Like the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, this is only an overflow. These attributes are only an overflow of the presence of God in us. We walk by the Spirit. Let's look at them again. If you have, if you have been pleading with God for his wisdom, if you, have, if you, are, if you have, have decided to reject autonomy from God and say, Lord, you are the master and commander of my life. Wherever you say, I will go. Whatever you want, I will do. You know, even to say those words, we're going to need an element of wisdom. We're going to need an element of, of readiness to let go. That we may have to ask for before we can be bold about following the Lord. But what is, going, what is it going to look like if we, if we take this to heart, if we begin calling on the Lord for his wisdom that comes from heaven, well, first, it's, it's going to look like purity. Spiritual integrity, moral openness. We're going to be peace-promoting. We're going to be gentle and patient, submissive and willing to yield. Man, that's real countercultural. Who wants to hear that? 
Again, it's that, isn't that autonomy creeping up on us again? No, 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 no. I don't yield to anybody. And this isn't necessarily talking about yielding and submitting to God. It's yielding and submitting to one another. Because I'm going to soon challenge that these gifts are actually primarily used in the life of the church. This letter is written to people of the church. And we're gonna, we're, I'm just going to make the case in a, in a moment. But yes, we should yield to God. We're going to be full of mercy and good fruit, impartial. So it's not necessarily not, a, not an attribute that we talk about with God. That's something he's referenced before about showing favoritism amongst ourselves. That, and un, impartial means unbiased, not prejudiced, or make a quick judgment on somebody. Also, sincerity. But to sum up, when the wisdom of God flows through you like a river, he gives us the outcome, what your life is going to look like and and how we can test ourselves to see whether we have this wisdom. What is it? They manifest themselves into peacemaking. See, again, he's not necessarily talking about peace with God. We do have that in Jesus and we need to remain in that. We need to remain to having peace with God, yielding to God. But he's talking about us together here. Notice these attributes are also opposite to the ones he's just mentioned. What were they? Actionless, dead faith, unrestrained tongue, envious, selfishly ambitious, boastful. And now he's just said, no, no, all the opposites of that, this is God's wisdom. This is God's wisdom. If these mark your life, that means the the purity, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, or willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, and that your life is just filled with peace, and bringing in a harvest of righteousness. If that marks your life, you have this wisdom. If you lack it, ask God and he'll give you this wisdom. But if not, if your life is not caricatured by these things, then I guess we do need to really get busy asking God. Or the other alternative, and James has sort of been circling around this, is that you're actually unsaved. I don't say that to condemn anybody. But he's given, he's given such severe warnings. Remember the, the, the wisdom of the earth is, is demonic, unspiritual, earthly. Remember, you know, faith without works is dead, meaning you don't have faith. It's like you're going to meet Jesus and Jesus is going to say, no, no, that, your faith, Dead. That's the warning. And so we want, to, we want to put up these two wisdoms, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, and we want to assess our own heart and be like, which one characterizes my life most? Yes, I can, I can go through a hard season. Yes, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to get it right all the time. But I'm walking this life with God. I'm calling upon his name and asking for this wisdom from above. 
And each virtue that is lived is obedience to the royal law. If we remember that back in James chapter 2, verse 12, which is speaking and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. These attributes are the attributes of Christ. And we want to be like Christ because we want to be judged by God's grace. God has been so kind to us. God has given us free forgiveness in Jesus. And so we want to be able to share that love with others. It's come from him into us and it will manifest itself through our thoughts, our tongue and our actions. This is the consistency of salvation. I stole this off a song that I heard yesterday. It's from good things, good things grow. Wherever you draw your source, that, that's what's going to define what grows. But why does James see peace as so valuable? And this is, this is where I think he is talking about not necessarily our relationship directly with the Lord, that we should have these attributes and offer them up to the Lord, but amongst one another is because of James, the very next verse, James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, so he says, said all these beautiful virtues, and then he said the next verse, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And he's, who's he referencing? The church. He's like, so because you're not reflecting these and demonstrating these in your life, look at the outcome. And so we are being called here to live at peace and love with one another. I love that. I don't hear that often talked about. And you might say, well, why is it so significant? Why is James going to all of these lengths for this unity and this love and peace that we should have with one another? It's because the church is the primary driver of God's glory, his gospel, and his word going out to the hopelessly lost world. The reason every single one of us are here is because God birthed the church at Pentecost. And that church, in all of its frailty, in all of its human weakness, has been powerfully carried along by the Spirit of God that Jesus promised. He wouldn't leave us as orphans. He would give us the Spirit, and the Spirit working through the church would demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God, not only to this world, but in Ephesians, we see manifesting or making itself known to the powers that be, the principalities. Powerful beings that look on and just think, this is incredible. Satan can't stop the church. But what can he do to you individually? That's the... I don't know if there's an institution on this earth. Maybe, maybe someone can check this. What institution on earth is, has been more fractured, more split? You know, like people coming together and then breaking apart and then starting a new thing and then breaking apart. It's the church. I don't know. I think I heard this figure somewhere. Something in excess of 30,000 different denominations. Like just madness. But Why? You know, and, and people look on and I, I don't, I, I sort of, I did use, I used to do this. I'll just be honest with you. I used to go, oh, well, they're not doing it right. I'd do it better. You know, like, like, look at these people. They can't just, they can't just stick together. 
But I think what we're, what we're missing there is, actually, probably as a measure of pride in those words um, that, that I've repented of, but, but what we're missing is that, well, where's Satan going to press most of his attention? Is it down at the pub? Is it going to be at the, the halls where we go and gamble? Is it going to just be on the street? No. Satan cannot stop the power of the Holy Spirit moving through this world and creating more and more churches. But what he can do is he can break the individual or he can seed into that individual the demonic wisdom, the earthly and unspiritual wisdom. And then what's that going to cause? Quarrels among you, selfish ambition, boasting, all of the things that James has just mentioned. And he's like, we need to preserve this because the tighter we are, the more we are as a fellowship and a family. What does that mean for South Grafton? That means a gospel light. That means a man standing at the door just a second ago as we're doing communion, preaching the gospel. And I asked him to come and he's not ready yet. But he was there for a reason. And God could bring him back. And God has brought many of you out of many different circumstances, but it's because churches are holding together. Not perfect, but they're calling upon the wisdom of God. And how does it look if we have bitter envy, selfish ambition and boasting? How does that reflect God to this community? But again, don't feel like, oh, you know, it's, it's just because, we, you know, we just got to get it, you know, we got to be better. It's like, no, no, it's because Satan is prowling around like a lion looking for people to devour. He wants a foothold in your life. But most of all, not only to just bring your faith right down, right down, but if he can take a church with you on your descent, even better. And again, that's where the attack is going to be from the enemy. That's why the church is the most fractured, fractured group of people I know. Right. In the example of James chapter 3, verse 18, we get this, this farm that produces righteousness. So it says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I love that. He's just given us a direct picture of what it looks like when we're walking in the wisdom of God. And I'll explain it for you. Knowing um, if you have the wisdom of God is like, just imagine you walk away from, uh, you've gone out bush, you spent some time camping, and then you're walking back down the trail. Now, just as you're walking out of that campsite, you turn around. If you packed all your stuff up, you turn around, you look back. What does it look like? Is it, is it nature, serene, the birds, the river, everything's beautiful? Or when you're leaving, you turn back and there's bits of rubbish, there's plastic, You've left the fire still running. Yeah, the fire's still going there. A bit, bit of a danger hazard. Um, the trees are decaying. There's mud everywhere, slop everywhere. And he's sort of saying, this is the difference between those who understand this wisdom, who have this wisdom. They're going to leave something peaceful and beautiful behind. Whereas for others, where they go tends to just bring about a mess. It's because we're drawing from the wrong source. Maybe we could look at it exactly like a field. You're sowing into that field, not thorns, thistles and weeds, but you are sowing righteousness. You are sowing 
the virtues that we've just been sp- speaking of and what's going to spring up from your life. A harvest of righteousness instead of a lot of dead works. But I just want you to, as we get ready to close, I just want you to pay careful attention to these words. This metaphorical field that I've just spoken of, that we have these virtues of God, we're going to produce this peace which will bring about a harvest of righteousness. This field that you tend now will be reaped and offered to God. Everything you've done in your life up until this point, Jesus said every careless word will be brought into judgment. Everything you've done in your life, it is going to be reaped, weeds and wheat, and it's going to be brought into the presence of the Lord. Your final destination is still heaven. But you're going to maybe find a lot of your life, if you've not walked in this wisdom, is going to be burnt up. But you'll receive a gift for that which remains, that gold, silver, precious gems. On the day God promises to take take that action. And when he does, though, we just got to remember this. We're going to be brought to his side, never to leave it again. We are being brought into a relationship. It's not a a thing where we're going to feel like we're going to be guilty because we're not really measuring up at this moment. It's, It's more a call to God's not going to find fault. Let's start seeking him for this wisdom, calling on him for this wisdom. And, and what we will see is that harvest of peace and righteousness. Often life can feel like we're walking around in a fog of frustration because of the complexity, various decision, decisions, and sheer amount of attention that is just spread out all over the place. And this is where things can begin to, the wheels begin to wobble. But we don't need all the right and wise answers according to this world. We just need the right virtues. And how? by dependence upon God for a wisdom that comes from above and not from within. I have a brother in McLean Church, Grant. He often reminds me of this when dealing with these types of problems and and issues in life. He just gives me the advice. He says, Dan, what would Jesus do? That's probably a good way to live our life. But go and ask our Father to give you the spiritual prowess to live this life him let's pray dear father lord we're so grateful for your son we're so grateful for your love lord even here we see that to those who are humble who humbly receive your word lord you are creating something beautiful out of our lives let us never lose sight that, Lord, everything we've done is going to be brought before you. And so let us live with, with a lot of intentionality. But also, Father, I pray that you would give this church the wisdom from above, that, Lord, you wouldn't allow Satan to have a foothold here, that, Lord, you'd give it to our children, you'd give it to us, and that, Lord, we would demonstrate your glory, propagate your gospel, and see your word reach more in this community and wherever else you send us. Father, protect us from the evil one. You ask us to pray this. Protect us from the evil one. His desire is to see this place come to its knees. 
But Lord, as for us, your people, we're going to continue to call upon you. Call upon you when we were autonomous, but not anymore. We need you for this spiritual walk, this spiritual life. The road is hard. In Jesus' name, amen.